Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat for this time that you have given us to come together as Mishpachah's family to worship before you and to experience your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your word heard, your voice received, and that there will be nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. Father, breathe on us today. Breathe on us with your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, that we may enter your presence and recognize that the God of all creation is in our midst. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. So this week we're in Parsha Vayechel and Pekudei. Um, it's uh, the final two parshot of uh, Shemot, of Exodus. Um, we've read over the last three weeks or so the description of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the furnishings of the Mishkan, the curtains of the Mishkan, how it would be, be built, who would build it, who would be involved in, and the parameters and guidelines that the Lord had established for the, uh, the Mishkan. In particular, we read about how Moses saw, uh, was commanded by God to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, after what he saw in heaven, after what he saw from Mount Sinai uh, as the heavenly tabernacle or the heavenly dwelling place of the Lord Almighty. And so this week we now have gone through all of that. Uh, Moses is back down from Mount Sinai again, the, the now third time he's back down from Mount Sinai. He's down with the new tablets that, uh, that are replacing the old tablets and he's come back with a message from the Lord that now it is time to actually begin building the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the dwelling place for the Lord. And it's a really interesting part as we dig through it, uh, both, both Parshot as we dig through these last couple of chapters of, of Exodus. So if you'll open up to Exodus 35, beginning with verse 4, we'll jump right into it. Moses also had said to all the congregation of B'nai Israel, this is the word which Adonai commanded, saying, take from among you an offering for Adonai. Whoever has a willing heart, let him bring Adonai's offering. Skipping down to verse 10, let every wise-hearted man among you come and make everything that Adonai has commanded. And skipping down again to verse 20, then all the congregation of B'nai Israel departed from before Moses. Everyone whose heart stirred him uh, and everyone whose spirit was willing came and brought Adonai's offering for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its services as well as the holy garments. Verse 29, every man and woman whose heart made them willing gave toward the work that Adonai had commanded to be done by Moses' hand. So B'nai Israel brought as a freewill offering to Adonai. And in chapter 36, we open up with uh, Batzalel and Oholiab, who are the, the two kind of head craftsmen that are in charge of, uh, of building the the various furnishings and pieces for the tabernacle, and the, the word tells us that the Lord placed his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit, upon them specifically for the purpose of building this. And in chapter 36, we, we see that uh, Bezalel runs to Moses and says, hey, listen, 
Uh, we got way too much stuff. The people of Israel have just brought and brought and brought, and there's way more than we could ever need. So please just tell them to put a hold on it for a while. Don't bring anything else. Just we've, we've got more than enough. And Moses passes the word along and says, all right, you guys have brought enough. Sit back, relax, and let's, uh, let's wait for the, the tabernacle to be built. And it, it's really interesting as we look at this because the, the fact of the matter is, is that Israel is very uh, confusing, right? Because uh, we see that they have rushed with a willing heart to give to the Lord. But just last week, we read about the, the golden calf and their willingness to, to build that too. And they gave for that, right? And so in the Talmud, uh, there's a, 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 a kind of a quote from uh, Rabbi Abba Baracha that says, there's no understanding the character of this people of Israel. They're solicited for the golden calf and they give. They're solicited for the Mishkan, the, the dwelling place of the Lord, and they also give. Um, and so the, you, you've got this first generation coming out of Egypt who seems to be in this awkward contradiction, right? They're willing to give to the things of this world, but they're also willing to give to the Lord too. And I think they're kind of stacking the odds in, in their favor either way it goes. They're trying to figure out which one's going to work out best for them, that kind of a thing. But, but what's really interesting is they rush to give. And, and I think the truth of the matter is, is this is a repentive work for the nation of Israel because they just went through the whole scenario with the golden calf. They just went through this whole situation where they conned Aaron, and I use con loosely because Aaron clearly did not argue or complain or anything, but they conned Aaron into building the golden calf for him. They had this monster soiree around, I won't use the other word, this monster soiree around the golden calf, and Aaron says, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt, and Moses comes down, ticked off, and, uh, and goes up to the Lord and, and pleads on their behalf and intercedes for them, and, and here we see that now Israel has, at least in some manner or another, turned their heart back to the Lord. Uh, and so the Lord commands now that the tabernacle be built. We've read about it for the last three weeks, the finite uh, 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 description of how the Lord wanted the tabernacle to look and to be built uh, and the purpose for it and what he had in store. And then here we see the actual work of the building of the tabernacle. And chapter 36, verse 1 says, So Bazalel and Oholiab uh, are to work along with every wise-hearted man in whom Adonai has placed insight and understanding to know uh, how to perform all the labor for the service of the sanctuary according to everything Adonai has commanded. Then Moses called Bazalel and Oholiab and all the wise-hearted men in whose mind Adonai had set wisdom along with whose heart stirred him up to do the work. Uh, you know, Hebrew is a really interesting language because uh, every word has such a specific meaning. And it's really neat to look through the names of some of the characters and the individuals we see in Scripture and see what the Lord is trying to show us here and, 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 and reveal to us. And in particular, Bazalel, which is the, uh, the, the brainchild, if you would, behind the design of the tabernacle and putting everything together. And uh, in particular, Bazalel is, is very much a foreshadowing of Messiah. I don't know if you've noticed this before. If you looked at it, he's very much a foreshadowing of Messiah. Uh, down to uh, the, the, the man is from the tribe of Judah. He's filled with the Spirit of God or the Ruach Elohim. He's called out by name from the tribe of Judah. Uh, and then on top of that, his name very literally means in the shadow of God. And so we see this, this, this kind of depiction of this messianic-like figure of uh, Bazalel. And not only is he this messianic-like figure, but we know Yeshua says, I have gone to 
prepare a place for you, right? And what is the place that he went to prepare but to get the tabernacle, the Mishkan in heaven ready for us and that involved him going and pouring his blood out upon the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies in heaven that we could be restored and renewed and, and connected to the Lord again in unity as God created us to be. And so here on earth in this foreshadowing of Messiah, we have Bazalel who the Lord called out from the tribe of Judah specifically for the purpose of preparing a place for the presence of the Lord to dwell, preparing a place for the Lord to be in our midst, just as Messiah, who Basel is a foreshadowing of, went to heaven to prepare a place for us to be in the midst of the presence. Notice there's this conversion because of sin. There's this conversion, uh, uh, converse uh, reality between what God is doing here on earth and what he's done in heaven or what he wants to do in heaven. We were created to be in the, the garden, to be in the literal presence of God in his midst. We sin, we get pulled out of the garden, and the Lord then chooses to place his presence in our midst and among us until the day comes that he then restores us through the blood, work, blood atonement of Messiah to be restored back into his presence again. And then we have uh, uh, Basel's assistant, Oholiab, and Oholiab was uh, a man from the tribe of Dan, uh, and so now we have this image of the, the tribe of Judah and the, the messianic kind of prefigure or precursor. And then you have Dan, who uh, the tribe of Dan, who Oholiab comes from, and Dan is the tribe of the, of the judge. Uh, Dan, whose name, uh, or his name, uh, Oholiab's name means the father's tent. So it's almost like the Lord had a plan upon the heart of his parents when he was named for exactly what the Lord had created Oholiab to be a part of, because this is exactly what he did, was he was involved in building the father's tent and building the tabernacle, the dwelling place, the temporary dwelling place here on earth for the presence of the Lord. And I want you to understand, this is something that's really interesting and neat about looking through this segment of Israel's history in the Torah, is we see just last week the lowest of the low of Israel's capabilities of sin and debauchery and, and, and disdain for the relationship that they're to have with the Lord and the disdain that they have for what the Lord has actually done for them with the event of the golden calf. But then a week later in our Parsha, now obviously it was a different time frame for them, but a week later in our Parsha, we come across now the Lord's still allowing Israel to build the tabernacle. And not only allowing Israel to build the tabernacle, but we continue on into the Parsha and we move into... Uh, Chapter 39, verse 32, it says, So all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was finished. B'nai Israel did everything according to what Adonai had commanded Moses. They did it just so. And then down to verse 42, According to everything that Adonai had commanded, Moses, B'nai Israel, had, and B'nai Israel had done everything, uh, all the work just so. When Moses saw the entire work and that, uh, that they had done it just as Adonai had commanded, Moses blessed them. And then at the end of chapter 40, verse 33, he set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen at the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud resided there and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, Ben Israel went onward through all their journeys, but if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not move out until the day that it was. For the cloud of Adonai was on the tabernacle by day and fire by, uh, there by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So even in the midst of Israel having just made one of the 
biggest mistakes they could have ever made. Even in the midst of Israel having just shown just how much disdain they have for the Lord, uh, the reality is, is the Lord still desired, desired not only to restore Israel, not only to forgive and show grace and mercy to Israel, but the Lord desired to still place his presence in the midst of Israel. The Lord still decided to lead Israel with his presence. The Lord desired to reveal himself to the entire nation in this phenomenal, miraculous event in a way that Israel could have never imagined. In spite of everything they just experienced and did, in spite of the anger of the Lord that broke out among the nation of Israel, in spite of how far Israel had fallen, the Lord still loved them and cherished them and desired to tabernacle in their midst. And the language is important. Uh, in uh, chapter 40, we read about the Mishkan being established. And, and it's interesting, again, looking at the Hebrew, the word Mishkan comes from the Hebrew word Lishkon, which uh, means to rest and was considered to be the resting place of the Shekhinah, the presence of the Lord. The Mishkan is also called Mishkan Ha'edut, or the Mishkan of testimony, since it testified of God's forgiveness of the Jewish people for their idolatry with the golden calf. Notice the Lord still allowed Israel to have his presence dwell in their midst, even in spite of everything they just did. And so the uh, tabernacle, the tent of meeting, is also called the tent of the testimony because it's a sign of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that the Lord gives, not just in the fact that the Lord allowed it to be built in his presence to dwell in it, even with Israel having just built the golden calf and everything went on, but because the purpose of the tabernacle was to bring about the restoration and atonement for the nation of Israel. The high priest would serve in the tabernacle, bringing forth the offerings and the sacrifices and the atonement offerings and the peace offerings and the free will offerings and so on and so forth. The high priest would serve in the temple uh, or the tabernacle to bring the Pesach sacrifice, the Passover lamb uh, for Israel. He would serve in the tabernacle to bring forth the uh, Yom Kippur, the atonement sacrifice for the nation of Israel year in and year out. And each of these sacrifices were reminders of God's grace and forgiveness that is never ending that is always available, his mercy that is always there to renew us and to draw us back. And, you know, the reality is as a lot of believers look at the Old Testament and particularly the Torah as though there's a juxtaposition in who God is. The God of the New Testament is love and grace and merciful, and the God of the Old Testament is vengeful and vindictive and judgmental and angry all the time. But the reality is, is the overarching narrative of the Torah is grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because no matter how low Israel fell, the Lord was always quick to renew and restore and redeem. And the Lord always gave us an example in Moses and Aaron of, of how we were to intercede on behalf of those who have fallen around us and how we were to fall on our face crying out to the Lord for forgiveness in our own lives. And we see everything that plays out and we recognize that still to this day, the Lord wants nothing more than to tabernacle among us than to dwell in our very presence in our lives and, and lead us. You know, Proverbs talks about how man plans out his way, but the Lord has laid out his footsteps. And I'm paraphrasing, but the reality is the Lord wants to lead us just as he led Israel in the wilderness. He wants to, to direct us so that everything we do walks in alignment with the will of God and with the blessings and, and love and mercy that he has in store for us. Uh, we move through the scriptures and we go to uh, uh, um, the Brachet in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, beginning with verse uh, 16, 
It says, don't you know that you are God's temple and that the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, dwells among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. We go again to First uh, Corinthians 6, verse 9, uh, and we see Paul dealing with this issue again. And says, or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, the sexually immoral, idolater, uh, idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanders, uh, slanderers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. That is what some of you were, past tense, it's what you were before the blood atonement of Messiah, but you were washed, you were made holy, and you were set right in the name of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, and by the Ruach, the Spirit of our God. And then skipping down to verse uh, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one committing sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Ruach HaKodesh who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God and your body. And again in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony does Messiah have with Belial? Or what part does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement does God's temple have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and separate, says Adonai, touch no unclean thing. Then I will take you in. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says Adonai Zevaot. Therefore, since we have these promises, loved ones, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of body and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of the Lord. And again, in Ephesians 2, uh, beginning with verse uh, 11, Therefore, keep in mind that once you Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcision, but those called circumcision, which is performed on flesh by hand, uh, by those called circumcision performed, performed by flesh on hand, uh, at that time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promises, uh, promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah, for he is our shalom, our peace, the one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Within his flesh, he made powerless the hostility, the law code of mitzvot contained in regulations. He did this in order to create within himself one new man from the two groups, making shalom from Jew and Gentile, and to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Uh, and he came and proclaimed shalom to you who were far away and shalom to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the same Ruach. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but are, uh, you are fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. You have built on the foundation made up of the emissaries and the prophets with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in the Ruach, in the Spirit. Listen, the tabernacle that was uh, built in, in the end of Exodus, the tabernacle was a temporary dwelling place for the presence of the Lord, for the Shekhinah, for the divine glory of God. 
for the presence of the Lord to be among his people. I think, and I've talked about this before, I talked about this a few weeks ago, I think that one of the biggest mistakes Israel ever made was building the temple, the physical temple, because God never asked for that. He wanted something temporal. He wanted something that he could lead Israel. And when we built the temple, we actually waved to the Lord that sat, you know, his presence sat upon the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. We waved and said, all right, God, we'll see you in a little bit. We're going to go off the war. We're going to go on this journey. We're going to go do that. And we'll come back to you eventually, God. It's okay. I know you used to. You led us. You know, your tab, your ark, your uh, presence would go before us in the battle, but you stay here and rest, and, and we'll go take care of this. And when David called out to the Lord and said, hey, you know, I've got this monstrous palace, I've got this beautiful home, and you're living in a tent. How is it my God is living in a tent? I want to build you this palace greater than mine. And the Lord said, I never wanted that. I never wanted that. I wanted something temporal. I wanted something temporary. I wanted to be in the physical presence of my people in a way that I could lead them down the path of righteousness. Not where they had to come to me, but where I was very much a part of who they are. And the blood of Tom and Messiah Yeshua, our Pesach Seh, our Passover lamb, was poured out, and he went and ascended into heaven and poured out his blood upon the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle of heaven, that which the one on earth was merely a model of. He poured out his blood that you and I could be restored and renewed in atonement to the Lord so that his presence could now reside upon us and fall within our heart, be a part of who we are. And, you know, in Second Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles, sorry, uh, everybody loves to quote Second Chronicles 7.14, right? Everybody, uh, you know, if my people are called by my name, everybody loves that. But what few people realize is what's happening in Second Chronicles and this part of Second Chronicles. And what's going on is Solomon has just completed the building of the temple. He's just had it finished. Everything's done. And it's built just as he had decided to make it. It's this beautiful, ornate, ridiculously monstrous temple for the presence of the Lord to reside in, uh, in Jerusalem. And verse 1 of chapter 7 says, Now when Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of Adonai filled the house. The Kohanim could not enter into the house of Adonai because the glory of Adonai filled the house of Adonai. When all B'nai Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of Adonai above the house, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, prostrating themselves and praising Adonai for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And just in the same sense that the presence of the Lord fell upon the tabernacle when it was complete, the same way the presence of the Lord fell upon the Holy of Holies in the temple when Solomon completed it. And in the same way, in Acts chapter 2, we see the fire of the presence of the Lord fall upon the temporary dwelling places of the mobile tabernacles of the Lord, the disciples, the Tamodim, the followers of Yeshua, the body of Messiah, when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, fell. Notice the continuity of the description of the presence of the Lord throughout Scripture with fire upon the mountain, fire upon the bush, fire upon the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle, fire coming down to light the altar, the, the fire of the Lord coming down to light the altar and consume the sacrifice, the fire of the Lord on the, the Holy of Holies and the altar of the temple, the fire of the Lord upon the heads of the believers in Acts chapter 2, and a replication of a similar scenario in Acts 10 with the Gentiles being brought in in Cornelius' house. And we see this continuity of the image the Lord is giving us, that he is an all-consuming fire. And he wants to consume our lives for his purposes. And just like with Israel who built the golden calf just a few chapters before the building of the tabernacle, just like Israel who no matter how far they had fallen, the Lord wanted nothing more than to restore them. The Lord is saying the exact same thing to you and I. 
no matter how far we think we have veered away from the Lord, no matter how far we have fallen to sin, no matter how long we have stayed away from relationship with the Lord, no matter how many weeks or months or years or beyond it has been since the last time we prayed or entered into His Word or spent time in communion with the Lord, the Lord wants nothing more than to restore us and renew us and to make His presence real and known in our lives. So you got to understand the Aron Habrit, the Ark of the Covenant that stood in the Holy of Holies of the Tabernacle in the First Temple, it's a representation of our hearts, just in the same sense that the Aron Kodesh, the Holy Ark back here that contains our Torah scroll, is a representation of our heart. Within the Aron Habrit was the tablets that Moses uh, put before Israel with the Aseret Hadibrot, the ten words as a reminder of the covenant with the Lord. And within our hearts resides the presence of the Lord as followers of Messiah. His very uh, presence is in our hearts and his Ruach HaKodesh, which inspired the word of God, is now upon us. And that Jeremiah 31 etching of the new covenant upon our heart is a very literal reality. The Aron ha, uh, HaKodesh behind me, the Ark uh, the Holy Ark that contains our Torah scroll is a representation of the modern synagogue of the Aron Habrit, the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle and the temple. And within it is contained our Torah scroll, just like within the Ark of the Covenant was contained the tablets. And it reminds us of the reality that the Lord wants to place His presence in our hearts. And each and every week in our services in Judaism, we take out the Torah scroll and we process it around the sanctuary and the entire synagogue turns and follows it with their eyes as it goes around because we never want to turn our back on the Word of the Lord and the reality is as John 1 tells us that the Lord came down in flesh and tabernacled amongst us and it says his, he, the word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. That Torah scroll and the Aseret Debrot, the ten, word, ten Commandments etched upon the tablets, the stone tablets is a reminder and a foreshadowing of Yeshua himself. The word is Messiah himself. And that Torah, that, that, that presence of his word wants to reside in our midst and our lives and in the same sense that as we follow the Torah scroll around the sanctuary and the procession in the same sense that Israel in the wilderness followed the presence of the Lord and fire and, and, and cloud followed the presence of the Lord through the wilderness and in a battle in the promised land when they finally crossed the, the Yarden, the Jordan River, the Lord wants to lead us in the very same way. And he wants that intimate relationship with us. See, as I said before, the Lord created us to be in His presence. But we sinned and His presence can't reside among sin. We fell short of the glory of God. We chose the temptation of the enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy the work of the Lord in our lives. So the Lord gave us the tabernacle and later the temple that His presence could be in the midst of His people even though His people couldn't be in the midst of His presence. And we couldn't go into the Holy of Holies where His presence was. Only the high priest and only once a year and under very specific and particular circumstances lest even He die. But we could not as the people of God go into the presence of the Lord. But the reality is is the Lord wasn't done yet. And that was merely a foreshadowing of what he'd do through Messiah, who came in physical form and tabernacled amongst us and wandered uh, in, in Israel and through Jerusalem and ministering and pouring out his life for our sins and offering his blood as an atonement for us that we could be restored so that now we aren't quite in his presence yet. The day is coming when we will be restored to the eternal kingdom forever and ever, but we're not quite there yet. But in the meantime... He has now placed his presence within our hearts. 
but it took that blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. It took that blood atonement of the, the, the sacrifice lamb, God himself making sacrifice for us, not a man making sacrifice for us. For us to be able to be restored in a way that his presence could reside in our hearts as he always wanted for the nation of Israel. That we could be restored. That we no longer had to look for fire around us to direct us, but could fill the fire within us that is all-consuming and, and wanting nothing more than to direct our footsteps and guide our lives. And as it says here in uh, Ephesians 2, in him the whole building being fitted together, verse 21, is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in the Ruach HaKodesh. The Lord wants nothing more than to dwell in your life. He wants to make you a dwelling place. He wants to make you the habitation for his presence because he never wanted a brick and mortar structure in Jerusalem to imprison his presence. Not that his presence was literally imprisoned. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. But the image is that we built this permanent structure rather than taking him with us and we left him behind. And every time you and I sin, that's exactly what we do is the same thing Israel did. We just say, God, you hang out over there. We'll come back to you eventually. We'll get back around. It's all right. We'll catch up with you. God knows how long that takes before we finally figure that out and get back on track, if we ever do. But the entire time that we're wandering, the Lord's standing there right beside us. Hey, I'm here. I love you. I just want you to come back. The prophet Isaiah over and over again declared that the Lord was going to destroy Israel and Jerusalem. But every time he declared destruction, the very next thing out of his mouth was, but if you just repent, if you just return, if you just come back. And every time he said, destruction is coming because you refuse to repent, he followed it up by saying, but don't worry, the Lord's going to rebuild you. The Lord's going to restore you. The Lord is going to bring you back unto himself. All you have to do is repent. All you have to do is come back. This passage in 2 Chronicles 7 with the finishing of the temple and the presence of the Lord falling before the nation of Israel and everyone seeing it and recognizing what was happening, the very next thing that happens is the Lord speaks to Solomon and says, listen, everything you've asked of me is going to be done. I will bless these people. I will dwell among them. I will live, love them and lead them and guide them. But the day will come where they will turn their back on me and they'll chase after the things of this world. And when that day comes, I will destroy this temple. I will destroy the city and I will disband the nation of Israel among the nations. And then he says, and we always skip over all of that before we get to 714. But he says uh, right out there, uh, verse 12, Then Adonai appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy 27 through 30, the blessings and the curses, it tells us the only reason God would do this is because we walked away from him, because we chose the world around us over our relationship with him. But he says, if I shut up heaven, that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, when my people over whom my name is called, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their lands. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know how rough things may be for you. 
I don't know how your relationship with the Lord is at this very moment, but the reality is, is the Lord is standing there saying, anything that's happening that's contrary to my will and my benefit for your life is because you chose to walk away from my will and my benefit for your life. But I still love you, and I'm still here. And when pestilence and the lack of rain and the lack of nourishment falls upon you, it is solely for the purpose that you awaken to the reality of my love for you and come back. And notice in Deuteronomy 30, uh, 27 through 30, the blessings and curses, the Lord never says he won't provide for Israel. He just says Israel is going to experience a rough time. And we can speak for our own lives and recognize that in those moments that we're not walking right with the Lord, when we look back at them later on, we realize that the Lord provided the entire time. We just were blinded to his provision because we were so wrapped up in the darkness of the world around us, we could not see his light. And the Lord's standing there saying right now to each and every one of us, I am here. I've never walked away. My presence is freely given for you. And I want to restore you in relationship with me. I want to restore you so that my all-consuming fire is a reality in your life. I want to restore you in a way that nothing the enemy has in store for you can ever harm you or destroy you. I want to restore you in a way that my presence leads your very footsteps. That every thought, every breath, every word, everything that comes forth from you will heed my will for your life first. And I want to change the world through you. The presence of the Lord falling in the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord falling on the temple, the presence of the Lord falling in Acts 2, it changed the world. The presence of the Lord that resides within your heart is the exact same all-consuming fire that we read in continuity throughout the scriptures. And he wants to change the world through you for his glory and for his might. And all it takes is for us to be humble and to turn back to him and to receive his freely given gift of mercy, atonement, forgiveness, and grace. That's the message from the foundations of creation all the way through to the end of time. God created us so that he could give his only begotten son, so that we could have eternal life in his midst. Messiah wasn't plan B. He was the only plan. God knew we were going to sin before he created us and created us anyways because he had already put the play, the plan for Messiah into play. It was his only plan because he knew that we were going to fail, that we were going to fall short of the glory. And he knew he still loved us and he still wanted relationship with us and he was going to restore us. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, I worship you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you give us this beautiful example the end of Exodus, of the reality that no matter how far we walk away from you, that, Lord, you are standing there calling us back unto you, beckoning us back, that no matter how diminished we allow our relationship with you to get, that, Father, you are not done with us, and that you want to work in us and through us for the good of your purposes, your will, and the world around us. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you gave your only son as an offering of atonement for us. That you show us throughout scripture the plan of redemption and salvation so that when Messiah came, our hearts could be opened to the work of your redemption. Father, I pray that you draw each and every one of us back into your all-consuming fire. 
Father, make us a habitation for your dwelling place. Father, make us pure and spotless before you, holy and worthy, not for our sakes, but for yours and for that of your kingdom to be known before all men. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.